How many of y'all have been guilty of driving miles from your house, forgetting your phone, and then turning around and going back and getting it? Raise your hand in confession. All right, y'all around the room. Yes, we cannot live without these things. I mean, it's got my music on there. I read news on here. It's got, my, my phone exactly has 1,600 books accessible to it through a theological library that I have as an app on here. And so I have basically my entire theological library on this, on this baby or all my devices uh, that I have access to. So it's almost as if I, I, I can't live without them. They're, they're, they're so powerful. I even read an article not too long ago ago that we should not call them phones any longer, like iPhone or, or I'm going to get my mobile phone or cell phone, because only about 30% of what we use this gadget for is actually this, all right? Actually, the rest of it, we are doing this, we're, we're gaming, we're watching videos, Netflix, all that kind of stuff. Only about 30% is actually a phone. Everything else, we're doing so many other things with it. In fact, we can even start revolutions uh, with these gadgets. Uh, was uh, reading Leonard Sweet this week, and he reminded me of Hosni Mubarak's downfall in Egypt whenever he said this, the Egyptian kids with cell phones and keyboards brought down a dictator in just 18 days. Think about that. Again, using the cell phone as a means of a revolution, if you will. Now, I know that we have our different phones and we wait for this, the, the 6S to come out if you have a 6. or uh, Even my, my kids are like, we're waiting for the 7. It's going to come out in September. And they're going to debut and it's going to have these features. And then we don't know what they're going to have. And so we look forward to it. It's going to do this. But you know, in the reality, we look at these phones. We hold them almost like they're little idols. And for some, they are idols. Uh, and we hold them dearly in our hands until they fall face down and they break. Now, how many of you all have repaired a screen on your phone because you have broken it? All right, good. I actually uh, repaired the screen on this phone. The next day, it fell again and broke right up there in the corner. So uh, at this point, I'm going to live with a broken screen. I realized something about phones, though, about these smartphones, is that the smartphone is actually not the exterior shiny-edged aluminum created, crafted, engineer, all that kind of stuff, and the tempered glass. and what, That doesn't make the phone great. Actually, what makes the phone great is the operating system inside the phone. The most unromantic part of the phone is what makes the phone great. It's the speed. It's the memory. It's what, it's what enables the, the phone to be the phone. Now, I want to say this for a moment, just bridge this, and you'll understand where I'm going with it now. The most beautiful part of you is not what you got up and looked in the mirror at for the past 20 minutes before getting in the car to come here, or longer, or shorter, I don't know, depending on how long you were there in front of the mirror, what all you have to do to take care of that self, or what you dressed, or how many outfits you put on. That's not what is the most beautiful part of you. In fact, it's not even what I want to call the IOS of who you are the operating system of who you are. But what really makes up a phone and what makes it really work and what really makes it fast and what really makes the memory work, what really makes the apps work and all that kind of stuff and the features that we like is the operating system. And what really, 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 really makes you work and what makes you tick and really what makes you attractive or unattractive is your operating system. I know you haven't ever thought about yourself as a being, having an operating system, but just, just, just humor me for a few moments, and let's just pretend you have an operating system. And that operating system is more important than the exterior, than the shiny, than the, than the part that you manicure or pedicure or, or whatever cure you do to your cures, uh, to, your, to, to your elements or, or, or dis, uh, dysfunctions. Um, but, but, but it's inside of you. In fact, I want to read this statement to you. It's the advanced man. 
of your true selves. Its roots are inward, but its fruit is outward. It's our best friend or our worst enemy. It is more honest and more consistent than our words. It is our outward look based on past experiences. It is the thing which draws people to us or repels them. It, it, it will never, uh, it is never content until it is ex- expressed. It is the librarian of our past. It is the speaker of our present and it is the prophet of our future. This is your attitude. Your attitude is your operating system. The attitude that you carry, the attitude that precedes you, it's your for, it's the front man. It, you, your attitude is the one, is the librarian of your past. It's the speaker of your present. It's the prophet of your future. Your attitude says more about you than you say about you. It is who you really are. It is what determines where you go. It is what determines the climate of your home. It is what you pass on to your children, your attitude. Your attitude is your operating system. How is your operating system? Again, it's an unromantic part. It's not what we go to the store to buy. We don't medicate or, again, or, or beautify our attitudes. It's attitudes, though, is what shapes us. And the attitude is located between the ears. Most of what we deal with is between the ears. We call it the mind in Scripture. In fact, it's what Paul said when he said, you're going to need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're going to have a different operating system, if you're going to have a different attitude, if you're going to have a different outlook on life, that would be your attitude, you're going to have to have a different mind, transformed, changed, a different attitude, a different perspective on life. Take your Bibles and be looking at the book of Philippians. We're going to also see again where he talks and challenges us about our minds. Our mind is our operating system. It's where our attitude resides. And in verse 5 of chapter 2, it says this, Have this mind. Have this mind among yourselves. So you, 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 every one of yous and every one of me, there's only one of me, Every one of us needs to have this mind, which is yours. How do you get it? In Christ Jesus. We have this operating system. We have our attitudes. Our attitudes should be shaped and formed and transformed, to go back to Romans chapter 12, by the renewing of our mind, by Christ being in us. Another translation of this same verse says it like this. Have your own attitude, that of Christ Jesus. The Holman Christian Standard says that. Make your own attitude, that of Christ Jesus. Again, where do you get this attitude? As it says already up there, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. But we have the mind of Christ. Mind, attitude, Christ if you're a follower of Christ, what I'm, saying to the, uh, what I'm saying to you is that you should have a different operating system. Your, your operating system is the, the behind-the-scenes part of you. You can wear the Jesus shirts if you want. You can tattoo Jesus on your arm or a Bible verse on your arm. But really, what determines whether or not Jesus is coming out of you is the operating system of your life, which is in your mind, which is 
being transformed, which is the mind of Christ. So really, the question should be, is do I have the mind of Christ? Do I have the operating system of Christ working through me? That's the most important part. You know, you'll never hear anybody talk about their iPhones and they'll say, hey, what kind of operating system do you have? Did you get the latest download? You know, I got the 9.3.1. You ever heard that? Or I've got the 9.3.2. I didn't look that up. I literally didn't know what operating system I had. But that's what I have. Or have you ever heard anybody say, well, you know, I'm more of a snow leopard. Now, if you don't know any of these, these are Mac users. And if you're not a Mac user, I feel sorry for you. You can be born again uh, some other time. But um, the, once you're a Mac user, then you will, you'll understand about snow leopard. But if you're still on snow leopard, then I'm afraid you're a little retro for me because I'm El Capitan. Now, some of you, again, know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this. This is that unromantic part of your computer that determines the speed, the functionality that makes it happen. I had some, uh, some software engineer it approached me out in the, in, the, in, the, in the gallery area after the first service. They said, you offended me today. So everything I do in my life is very unromantic to you. And I said, yes, but you keep me going. Keep us all going. Those operating systems are so important and your attitude, your mind is made up of your operating system. And we are to have an operating system that is not the El Capitan, that is not the Snow Leopard, that is not some digits and numbers, but it is to be the mind of Christ. It is to be the attitude of Christ. Now what happens whenever you have the attitude of Christ? If you have your Bibles and you're looking at Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at what is called, a, some people call it the Christ hymn. But before we get into the hymn, I want to kind of look at this in, in the form of two pieces of bread, okay? Verse 5 being the first piece of bread where it tells us, hey, you need to have the mind, the attitude of Christ. Then you skip down to verse 12, okay? This is the second piece of bread. And then we're going to put the peanut butter and jelly on it in the middle. But here it is, verse 12, therefore... Now, anytime you're reading the Bible and you see therefore, you need to ask wherefore, therefore, is therefore. It's therefore a reason, okay? And it's typically pointing back to something that he just previously said. So this is tying verse 11 or verse 12 back to verse 11 in the previous verses. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's what he tells him to do. To work out. To work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Show the world that what you profess is really what you possess. Show, show the world, listen, let the world see that what you're saying, you're saved, you, you're a follower of Christ, let your salvation be worked out. Don't, don't, you're not working for your salvation. That's already been done with Christ on the cross. But what you're doing is you're allowing the, the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ that is in you to come out of you. And what Christ did in you, he's going to come out of you whenever you come back to the first piece of bread, whenever you have the attitude and the mind of Christ. Now, what does that look like? What's the peanut butter and jelly in the middle here? 
What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. I want to talk about verses verse uh, uh, 6 through verse 11, and I want that to be kind of the focus. And really, that's a beautiful passage of Scripture. As we just sang just a few moments ago, the last song that, 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 that Cameron led in and the band led us in was the Nicene Creed. Now, maybe I maybe knew that already. It's the Nicene Creed, written in 300s, okay? What they did in the first century, what they did in the early centuries of, of the church is that they were passing down doctrinal statements, they would put it into prose and they put it into rhyme, they put it into rhythm, they put it into a song and they would sing it. And many scholars believe that they call this the Christ hymn, that verse, verse uh, six and following, that verse six to verse 11 is a called the Christ hymn and that this is who Christ is. And so if you want to have the mind of Christ, you want to think like Christ, act like Christ, be like Christ, then this is what it means. And so I want to break that down. So these are the three attitudes that I see that are Christ-like in an operating system that, again, we should have. Now I want to, I want to pause for just a moment and kind of tie it all back together because next week it's going to be kind of a, a unique service. And I'm excited about it. It happens once a year. We kind of, kind of pull out all the stops. We get ready for it. We, we've been talking about this for months, literally months as a pastoral team. It's what we call our strategy meeting, and I just want to challenge you to take your phones. Hopefully, you've downloaded the app by now, and go online and sign up for it. Go to the events section, sign up for it. It's, uh, again, just a couple of dollars, and you got walking tacos, and you get t-shirt and all that kind of stuff. All right, that's all the little extras about that. But what it's going to be about is we're going to be looking back. We're going to be remembering, because we're 15 years old this year. And we're going to be remembering over the past 15 years what God has done, but we're also going to be talking about the future. And that's where you fit in. You think, I, I didn't have anything to do with the first 15 years. I've only been here for a couple of Sundays. Fine. Be a part of the next. Be a part of the future. So we're going to talk about celebrating the past, but we're also going to be talking about creating the future. See, the Bible talks about celebrating the past. A lot of times in Scripture, it tells us to remember, to remember, to remember. 106 times the, the word remember is translated in Scripture. So he's calling us to remember. We're going to do communion here a little bit, and the whole idea around communion is not a sacrament that you're saved through communion, but that you would remember. Now, of the 106 times that it's mentioned uh, in, in Scripture, it's either mentioning that we should be remembering God, or it's the fact that God is remembering us. It's a beautiful thing. But it also talks about give in Scripture, 963 times to be exact. It's translated give, give, give. And listen, we're going to remember 15 years but we're going to talk about the next five. We're going to envision the next five. You know what's going to take to move into the next five years? It's going to take every single one of us who call Grace Point Church home to give. To give of our time, to give of our talents, to give of our treasures, to give of ourselves, to give what we can bring to the table. Oh, you just want to give. No, 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 no. Listen, this is about being a part of the body of Christ. And when you see what Christ did today and you see the attitude of Christ today and we become stingy, you... We are not carrying on the attitude of Christ. So this all fits together with the challenge this week and the challenge uh, that we have moving forward. So let's talk about the attitude. When you have the mind of Christ, this is what will happen. People, people, even people you don't know, people will matter more than positions or pleasures. Anything. Notice that when you look at this passage in verse 6, that he says, though he in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. God in heaven was 
noticing on the fall of man that man needed a redeemer. First it's Adam and Eve, then it's Cain and Abel, then you could just go on down the generations to you and me and we are all messing it up from one generation to the next. But God gave. God didn't give up, He gave. He gave His Son. The beautiful thing is that when the Son left, the Son gave the Spirit. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone, I'm going to send the Spirit. So you have this beautiful giving God who's giving of himself and he did not hold on to the royalty of heaven. He did not hold on to the palaces of heaven, whatever heaven looks like. He did not hold on to any of that, but he let go and he emptied himself. See, a life principle in this is that Jesus came to us because we could not go to him. That may be just a small twisting of words for you, but let that resonate. Let that settle in your soul for a moment. That we couldn't. There's nothing that we could do to earn, to get, to to attain redemption from God and forgiveness from God. He chose to give because people matter more than things. He did it out of love. God's motivation was love. Love motivated God, and that is what attracts us to God. You can look at all the other religions of the world, Islam, other faiths out there, and it's not such a loving God, but when you look at Christianity and you dive into Christianity and you understand that God sent His Son because He so loved the world. John three sixteen. And that when God came to this earth, he said in Matthew, he said, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. He came for the broken. He came for the hurting. We read two weeks ago, John chapter 1, verse 14, that when Jesus came, he was full of grace. Listen, the motivation of God, the expression of God, the density of God, the makeup of God, everything about God is wrapped up in this loving embrace of a God who loves us. We need to understand the orthopathos and that we need to take on the right feelings. And the right feeling is understanding that God was motivated out of love. And out of his love, he came to us. And through that love, we should reciprocate the love back to him. What attracts me to God, what should attract the world to Christ, called an attractional living, if you will, is when we have the right feeling, the right emotion, the right connection, and that being the love and the grace of God. When Jesus was going near to the cross, it says that he entered the city, drew near to the city, he saw the city, and he didn't turn away and run, but he wept over it. I want you to understand something about the passion of Christ. There's a movie made, The Passion, Mel Gibson, the whole thing. The passion was in the intensity of Christ. What, what drove Christ to the cross? What, 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 what stirred the passion in Jesus? Was his compassion for people. I want to be a church that is compassionate and passionate about our compassion. It's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. God's love motivated him to send his son. It's God's love that said, I will not leave you alone. I'm going to send you a maker. It was God's love that said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you and come back for you again. Listen, you have the mind of Christ. Your operating system is the mind of Christ. When our compassion moves us to a passionate, grace-filled living, 
When, when, when we have the heart of God and we're, the, the, the love for people is more important than the love for positions or pleasures or anything else that you want to tag on the end of that, and we just have a love for people and we want, to, we want to embrace them. Listen, when we become a church in this community or around the world as the, truly a place of grace, we will be irresistible. If we're a place of judgment and criticism and harshness where people can't come in broken, that's, that, that's a problem. I like what uh, Craig Rochelle said about the church in Oklahoma City and actually uh, nearly around the world. He said, uh, we'll do anything short of sin to bring people to Christ. They're so passionate about the compassionate grace of God that they will do anything short of sin. Will you do and will we do anything at Grace Point Church short of sin? I hope we will see people and value people more than anything else. Number two, we have the mind of Christ. I mean, notice again, Jesus didn't hold on to the things. He left it all. Number two, servanthood. Servanthood becomes the manner of our living. Now, I want to point you to a phrase. It's really a phrase of missional living where we are called to live missional and I want, to, I, want to, I want to call it like this. When you, you look in Scripture, you look at verse 7 and 8, and he talks about him coming in the form of a servant. Now, think about it for just a moment. Here is God of gods, and, and he could have come in the form of a king. He could have come in the form of a, of a ruler. He could have come in, a, uh, in the form of a revolutionary. But he came in the form of a servant. He healed sick. He taught. He, he walked on water. He fed the hungry. He gave answers to questions, life questions that, that people had no answers for. He was, a, he was a servant. But now you cannot miss this because this is the orthopraxy that we should have. This is the right living that we should have. This is the missional living that we should have, that we need to be like Christ and that we need to be out there as servants, living a servant life. I know that's not an attractive phrase and none of us just jump at that. But when you just look at the dichotomy of this, this one phrase uses one Greek word that's only used two, two times in all the New Testaments, the Greek word morphe, and it's the word form. It says he was in the morphe of God, but they found him in the morphe of a servant. When, when God was fully God, Jesus was pre-incarnate. He was not putting on, he had not put on flesh as of yet. And he steps out into time. He steps out into our present world. He steps out into it. And what does he put on? He's still fully God, but he puts on the form of a servant. So God, fully God, great creator God, becomes a servant. You heard me say a few weeks ago, if you're too big for the little jobs, you're too little for the big jobs. I think God's too big for the little jobs. No, God shows us. He puts on the life of a servant. You read Mark 10, 45, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. You read in, in Jesus' own life, he said, listen, I don't, I don't do anything of my own initiative. He even didn't want to go to the cross, didn't want to suffer. Listen, Jesus felt everything. He was fully man and, and fully God, but he was fully man. And he, he got hungry at times. And he hurt. And he had pain. He suffered. He, he felt that when he was stumped his toe, there were times that he, he didn't go any further. He sent his disciples on ahead and he sat down by the water well. 
There were times that he felt it all and he did not want to go to the cross. But what did he say? Because he lived a life of servanthood. He said, not my will, but yours be done. He literally lived his life to serve. Where's their need, God? We say a phrase around here, every every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. Listen, it's not just to try to get warm bodies in cold spots. I promise you. You need to have a place of ministry. You need to be serving. It makes you more Christ-like. It shows that you are living out the Christ life where you start serving others. You start giving of your talents and your times and your treasures. You start doing that. You are serving and you're making a difference. Grace Point has been going for 15 years. Now just think about that. In in increments of five-year blocks, okay? Let me break some things down here. Five years into our existence, we weren't even in a building yet. And we made a commitment. We made a shift in our missions. We've been always about missions, but we made a shift in our missions, and we said, okay, we're going to go to West Africa. We're going to commit ourselves to go to West Africa. We've commissioned over 200 people. That's a little hint on a number count on how many marbles are in that jar out there. There's more than that. But we've at least commissioned over 200 people to go to West Africa and to serve in West Africa. Now, what about all the other places in the world? We have committed to that. And listen, we've done this for 10 years now. Next Sunday, we're going to give you a 10-year report. I can't wait for you to hear what God has been doing because what are we doing? We're remembering what God has done for you to hear that next week. Five years ago, it was actually November of 2009. I looked it up in my passport this morning, confirmed the date. It was November of 2009 that I went to Zambia because God had rocked Lori and I's world about orphans. And we were going to bring this orphan child back, and I don't have time to develop that full story. I can tell you that one-on-one. But the point is, is that God rocked us, and then God brought me back to Grace Point, and I began to see around Grace Point how there were a number of families that were already adopting and already fostering and already bringing families into their home. And I'm like, wow, God, you're already at work. I'm just slow to the game. And so we said, okay, we're going to get on board. God's here at work. And, you know, some churches, they do soup kitchens really well. And some churches do, do, uh, do clothes closets really well. And some churches do. But listen, what we're going to do is we're going to do foster and adoption really well. We're going to make our families aware of the needs. And we're going to, we're going to encourage them to bring children into their home. We're going to encourage them to bring her children into their homes. I'm going to point this out over here. There's a ball in there for every child that one of our Grace Point members has brought into their home in the past five years. I'll let you try to guess and count how many there are. Listen, we want to be a church that helps alleviate the need for homes and children. We want to be a church that opens up our home. Why? Because servanthood is a part of the mind of Christ. And if we can do that, then we are sharing the mind of Christ. And the operating system is when my life is lived out to the greatest good of others. Not living for myself. It's living it out for others. Number three, when you look at the mind of Christ, and I'm going to read back through this passage again because you've got to see it in its sequence here. So just follow along. If you don't have your Bibles open, just listen very carefully. 
And just think of this as a hymn being sung in the first century church. I'm not going to try to sing it. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. This is the phrase I want us to key in on. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now he had to add that phrase in there. That phrase is so important because see, you really got to realize the Roman cruel capital punishment of crucifixion was so heinous and so inhumane and so indecent as people would die naked on a cross in the middle of the afternoon while the birds would wait to pluck their eyes out. It was gross. It was hideous. In fact, it was so bad a Roman citizen, if they were sentenced to execution, wouldn't have to die that way. As a Roman citizen, it was so bad. You might die some other way, but not crucifixion. That's why that phrase is so important. That he died on a cross. He died, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, we've got to realize something about Jesus. Is that Jesus was born to die. That's why he came. Jesus was born to die. We we're born and then we just try to live and figure it out. When really what we need to do is die so that we can follow Christ. Spiritually die. Listen, the, 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 the temptation of this, what I'm speaking of here is the gospel. I'm speaking of Jesus going and dying on a cross and being buried and rising to life again. This is absolutely the gospel in the nutshell. I know a lot of people have made a lot of other things. I read somebody recently that called it the tied in the creation of the world. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1, the creation of the world is not the gospel. If we make it things it's not, then we can't appreciate the thing that it is. And then I've heard other people try to make it just good deeds and showing good favor and helping someone out, and that's the gospel. It's not the gospel. Listen, the gospel is a cruel, ugly thing. It's Jesus dying. It's Jesus being buried. But it's also a beautiful thing of Jesus coming back to life and how that changes everything, how that changes our perspective. It changes how we live. It changes changes everything about us. That is orthodoxy. That is the gospel. And that is the kind of life that we need to live, is letting the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ totally change us. Here's a verse that affirms the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And Christ also died for sins once and for all. Christ died for sins once and for all. Not multiple sacrifices, not multiple saviors. Christ one time died once and for all. The just He's the just for the unjust, we're the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's how we're supposed to live. And we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that we will help every man, every woman, every child. Redemption becomes my aim in life, that I'm going to help everyone, every man, woman, and child to get to hear and understand the gospel so that they can be brought to God. As the New Living Translation puts it, that they will bring safely home to God. But you know what that means? It means I have to accept my brokenness. I have to accept the fact that there's something broken in me. You have to accept the fact that there's something broken in you. And a lot of people don't like that. We're kind of put together kind of people. We, again, 
We're like shiny cases on our iPhones. We're like protective screen covers. In reality, we've got to check the operating system out. Is Christ there? Do I have the mind of Christ? Is Christ penetrating my life? Has His death, burial, and resurrection changed me? And you know, that won't happen until you're broken. That won't happen until you feel empty. That won't happen until you're without. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, whenever Jesus climbs up the, the side of the mountain, comes the most famous message of, of Christ, and He said, listen, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You'll not know the kingdom of heaven until, first of all, you're broken and poor in spirit. So the real struggle for all of us here today and any other day of the week, do I realize how much I need Jesus? Do I realize how much I need Jesus and how much His dying on the cross was so pivotal in my life, so instrumental in my life? Do I realize how much I need Jesus I have the operating system of Christ in my life when I have the attitude that whether I live or die, I exist to see people reconciled to God. Let me tell you about Grace Point Church. Write this down. Brand this in your mind. Grace Point Church exists. Grace Point Church exists for the person who's not yet here. Grace Point Church exists for the person who's not yet here. The person who's not yet in Christ. The person who's walking dangerously through life. That's why we exist. And so we got to live in such a way that we have the mind of Christ that we will say, okay, I'm putting it all out there, God. I'm going to live for you just like you died for me. All in. I'll, 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 I'll. I'll I'll, I'll not hold anything back. But see, the beauty of the hymn, it doesn't end there. I want you to read this next section with me because this Christ hymn is so beautiful and powerful that it doesn't end there. It goes on in verse uh, 9. In fact, I want you to read this out loud with me. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory. That is a song to be sung. That's a message to be declared. The reality is that everybody, man, woman, child, young, all those who receive Christ and don't receive Christ, whether they're in heaven or they're in hell, everyone will one day bow their life to Jesus. What I pray, what I pray is that you bow your life to Him now so that you can experience Him forever. And maybe that's the first thing that needs to happen in this room today for you is that you recognize I need Jesus. And you just right there where you're at, right here, right now, you just bow your head and you just say something like this. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I give myself to you. I want all of you. I I want the mind of Christ. I want the operating, operating system of Christ to be in me. Make me alive. Just put your own prayer right there. 